In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I can only speak, of course, for myself, but one of the pleasures I get from preparing sermons is that it often gives me a chance to discover or rediscover things in the Bible I'd not noticed before, or perhaps I'd forgotten. Today we celebrate Christ the King. In our Gospel, Jesus speaks first of the Son of Man, sitting on the throne of glory. A little later, he's described as a king who addresses the people standing before him. But that's only after he's acted like a shepherd who separates the sheep from the goats. And it's this that provides a link with our reading from Ezekiel. I'll come back to that in a moment. So here we have three things, the Son of Man, a King, and a Shepherd. And thinking about these three things, we find ourselves being drawn towards the Servant King, which inspires Graham Kendrick's very moving hymn, We Just Sung. We know that Jesus' disciples came to believe that there'd be a time when he would reign in power. James and John, at least, or their mother on their behalf, try to reserve positions of authority for them at his side. Maybe what angers the other disciples most is that they didn't get the idea of these, that the, the others got in first. But Jesus' reply to all of them is that they've completely misunderstood misunderstood what the future holds for them and for him. You do not know what you're asking, he says. They've got it all wrong. He's facing suffering and death, and if they're to be with him, so are they. The way forward has to be one of service, indeed of sacrifice. They can hardly be blamed for getting it wrong, Here's the greatest paradox in human history. Here's a man who goes around proclaiming healing and offering a new way of life. And yet, he tells them, whoever would save their life must be willing to lose it. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And this service will require the offering or ransom of life itself. Come. See his hands and his feet, the scars that speak of sacrifice, hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. Let's return for a moment to the parallel theme of the shepherd. Our reading from Ezekiel is just the climax of an extraordinary 34th chapter which starts by denouncing at length and in the strongest terms the evil shepherds of Israel. They've used their position not to feed the sheep entrusted to them, but mercilessly to prey upon them. The chapter's worth reading in full because it adds enormously to the power of the extract we'd heard this morning. Here, the key words God speaks are, I myself will search for my sheep. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will seek the lost. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. I will feed them with justice. And yet God also promises a human shepherd, 
my servant David, who shall be a prince among them. Jews reading these words will recall that when Samuel was ordered to anoint a king from among the sons of Jesse, it was to be David, the youngest. And where was he to be found? Where else but keeping his father's sheep? And we Christians surely can't fail to recall that our Lord Jesus is identified as the son of David. It sheds light on his words in John's Gospel, I am the Good Shepherd. And in Luke's, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Here we're in touch with the very heart of God's good news for all people. For which of us is not, at some time and in some sense, lost? The references in scripture to shepherds and sheep are far too many to visit now. We recall the most famous of them in our next hymn, The King of Love My Shepherd Is. And let's not forget the last conversation John records with Jesus and Peter. That's where he tells the man he'd originally called to be a fisher of people that now he's to feed and tend his sheep and especially his lambs. The Bible is a real mine of mixed metaphors, so there's no reason to suppose that Peter is no longer to act as a fisherman just because he's now appointed to be a shepherd. If we return to the main theme of our Gospel, it's a description of the shepherd-like qualities of God and that God looks for in deciding who are his true followers and who are out for themselves. We can surely hardly read of all the caring characteristics of the first group without recognising that they are just what Jesus himself, the Good Shepherd, displays throughout his earthly ministry. In him, God was moving among us. He was showing us how a human life is meant to be lived. And then we may begin to realise that we're to be judged on whether we behave in a similarly God-like way but not just towards God. The test of our love for God is our love or failure to love each other. After Jesus reaffirms that the greatest commandment is to love God wholeheartedly, he follows this with the second by saying, it's like the first. Then he goes on to add that all the law and the prophets hang on these two. So he's saying in effect, that the big two really are one inseparable commandment, which is hardly surprising, for how can love be divided and still be love? Those who are identified as goats, the one who protests that they've never seen the Lord in need and failed to come to his rescue, haven't understood this. They've never accepted that selective love is in reality no love at all. There's no doubt that this strikes us as an impossible, a high standard to reach for. But the reason why it must be like that is our conviction that God is the source of all love. The John of the Epistles goes the whole way and boldly asserts that love defines the very being of God. God is love, he writes. And as if that were not enough, he underlines the unity of love by adding those who abide 
in love abide in God. When we act in a selfless and truly loving way, it's God who's acting in us. The scary part of our gospel is, of course, when it opens our eyes to all the opportunities we've missed to let God's love flow through us for the benefit of those in need. That also raises the question, can God ever be in need? At one level, the answer must be no. But when God shares a human life, as happened in Jesus, all that changes. And we can dare to talk both of God's need and of God's suffering. Jesus spells this out when he startles his companions on the road to Emmaus. Was it not necessary that God's anointed one should suffer these things and then enter his glory? God stoops to share our messy human condition so as to raise us to share in the divine life. The, unscare, the unscary but still unnerving side of our reading is for those who are assured that they've been serving the Lord even though they never realised it. I feel sure we all know people who don't believe they've ever done anything special while all the time they've been a lifeline for others. It's then that even we may identify with Christ the King while at the same time worshipping him as a servant king. So let us learn how to serve and in our hearts intro him, each other's needs to prefer, for it is Christ we are serving. Christ our King, you teach us that you come to us as one who serves. Help us to follow you in lives of love and service to all our sisters and brothers in need. Amen.